Let's pray to him. Father, that is, um, that's the cry of my heart. My flesh is weak. But Father, I'm so thankful that your Holy Spirit lives within and offers new life and gives strength. Father, today we're going to open your word. We're going to look at what you have to say to us. Um, speak to us today. Let your word come true, your word come forth, and let us be changed. Father, you're good and we love you in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, we're starting this morning a brand new series that we're calling Surrender, and I thought we'd begin with a little bit of confession time to kind of start off. They say confession's good for the soul. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I never feel really good when I've got to confess something, but I thought maybe we'd kind of do this together. One question, just kind of a show of hands. How many of you, when you were a kid, ever ran away from home or even thought about running away from home? Show of hands. Yeah, I mean, it would be really good right now if we had the time just to kind of turn around and you could share your running away from home story, right? I mean, whether your story's a little, a little funny, maybe it's a little silly, or maybe on the other end, maybe there's some kind of pain associated with it. But all of our stories, I think, share one thing in common. All of our running away from home stories, they were all about away, right? I mean, they weren't really to something, as much as they were just about getting away. Lisa and I this week, my wife, we were kind of sharing our running away from home stories, and she told me I could share hers. I thought it was a great one. She was about 12 years old, and she had had, and we've all had this with our kids if you're a parent, or if not, you've had this with your parents. She'd had this argument with her parents, kind of gone on throughout the whole day, kind of built up, kind of built up, kind of built up. And her parents had, who knows, they had said something, and and it was the last straw. It was all she could take, and she looked at her mom, really mad, maybe with some tears, and she said, that's it. I'm running away from home. And she walked out the door. The only problem was that she hadn't thought about where she was going. I mean, it was was all about a way. It really wasn't to anything. So she gets out of the house, and she thinks, I don't have any money. I didn't pack any clothes. Where am I going to go? So she looks in the driveway. And in the driveway, two cars are parked there, and she thinks, I'll just hide between the two cars. I mean, my wife's great running away from home story, she doesn't even make it out of the driveway. It's just, just a great story. So then her mom, her mom's in the house, and as a parent, you do this, you think, how much leash do I give? How long do I wait? How long? Her mom waits about 10 minutes, and her mom comes out of the house, and she goes, Lisa. Lisa's between the two cars, man, all she can be, doesn't say a word. And her mom, you know, ah, she's probably still close by. Lisa, nothing. And she takes a few more steps off the front porch. Lisa, by now she's a little, you know, where did she go? Where is she? Lisa, nothing at all. It's all about a way. It's not to anything. And then by now, her mom starts to get a little worked up. You know, where did Lisa go? 12 years, where, you know, where is she? So she takes a few more steps out and try to picture this. She's now standing in the driveway. She's eight or ten feet away from Lisa. She can't see her, and now she's scared. Now her mom is frantic, and Lisa can hear this in her voice, and it's, Lisa! Lisa, ten feet away, it's kind of all she can take, and she starts to laugh because the humor's not lost on her that as mad as she might have been, now her mom is ten feet away, freaked out about where Lisa is, where is Lisa run away to, and she's right there, and she cracks up laughing, and now her mom's question is different. It's not, Lisa! It's, Lisa? 
and she takes a few steps over, and her little girl, little 12-year-old girl, who's mad and kind of crying before, is just sitting there laughing between the two cars. And the mom goes over, and everything turns out fine. But it was all about running away. It was never really to anything, right? Now, here's another question for you. And I don't want you to answer this. Don't raise your hands. Don't, don't do this. Don't look at the person next to you or kind of give the elbow thing. Because I think this one's true of all of us. But how many of you have ever tried to run away from God? Now, this usually happens as we get a little older, right? I mean, maybe like late teen years through, I don't know, age 90, right? I mean, running away from God is not so much like packing up a bag and actually leaving town, although that, I guess, could be part of it. But running away from God is really kind of like this. It's kind of like saying, I want. It's my time. I deserve this. Running away from God, I think, is kind of like saying, you know, deep down in my heart, I know better. And even though maybe I can't quote the whole Bible to you and I don't know, you know, what, what the whole Bible says, I'm still pretty sure I know what God wants me to do in this situation. But the truth is, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. So I'm just running. Or maybe if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, maybe you've still had some times like this. In fact, maybe you're running right now. Maybe you've done this. Maybe you've adjusted your thinking over the years. You've kind of changed your belief systems. Maybe you went to church when you were a little kid, but you've changed the way you've thought and thought, yeah, you know, there might be a God out there somewhere, and maybe he got this whole thing started. Not sure how he did that, but maybe he kind of got it started. But he kind of takes a hands-off approach, and he doesn't care about all the little decisions I make. He doesn't care about how I'm living, what I'm doing over here. So you just run. Or maybe you feel like you've been hurt by God. And maybe as you just start to think about running away from God, you start to feel a little defensive or angry. And you think, you know what? God has never really been that good to me. He never came through. So, so why should I limit myself? Why should I surrender to him? I've just got to look out for myself because God's never really been looking out for me. So you find yourself running away from God. We have all spent time running from God. For me, I remember in my late 20s, I was working with a guy, and we were really good friends, and it was, it was the late 90s, and we decided to dabble just a little bit in the stock market. It was at a time, if you're old enough, you remember it, they called it later the tech bubble. The bad thing is, all bubbles burst, you just don't know when. And at this time, if you were a tech company or a dot-com, your stock was just soaring. And this friend of mine came to my office and he said, hey, he said, I've been reading some stuff. You know, we're looking at stock stuff. I've been reading some stuff. And there's this brand new company. And everything I'm reading saying, you know, they've got this new latest thing. And their stock is just going to take off. You know, we've got to get into this. And it just so happened at the same time. And we've all, maybe you've done this. I think we've all over-spiritualized things before. Lisa and I had been talking about saving money for a house. And we thought, you know, let's put some money aside and we'll save money and maybe we'll even invest a little bit. And as my friend was telling me this, I thought, oh, this is a God thing. God is sending me this unknown stock that's just going to take off because he wants to bless me with a house. This friend of mine told me, he said, here's the great thing about the stock. It's only a dollar a share. That should have been a huge warning sign, right? But we've got just a thousand bucks to invest. And I thought, 
a dollar a share, a thousand shares, I'm all in. So I bought a thousand shares of this stock. And sure enough, stock goes up. Sitting there with my buddy, and he'd come in every day to my office. And in just the first couple weeks, the stock went from $1 a share to $2 a share. Made a thousand bucks in about two weeks. This is great. He kept coming to the office, and we'd check it every day. And as the weeks went on, it went from $2 to $3, went to three and a half, went to four. Over a couple months, it went from a dollar to $5 a share. And by that time, I thought, I have made $4,000. I'm, I'm the stock guru. I'm the guy. You want to ask me your stock questions because I know the stuff, right? I mean, I'm, I mean, why isn't everybody doing this? You know, just take the money and just watch it grow. So I watched this happen over just a couple months. And then one day, this had never happened before in my life. But one day, I'm sitting at my desk, and I'm pulling up the stock, kind of see where it is. And as I pull up the stock, it's not an audible voice, but I hear this thought in my head very clearly. Tim, I want you to sell this stock and give all the money away to this charity that Lisa and I help support. And I never had an experience like that before, so it was really easy to just kind of discount that and just kind of push that away. But every time I checked the stock, every time I even thought about, you know, how, how well it had been kind of growing, I had that same thought. Tim, you need to sell the stock. And you need to give all the money over here. I became convinced that God was telling me to do this. So I thought about it. And here's what I did. I said, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not selling the stock. And it really wasn't so much about the money. I mean, I guess that was a little part of it. But it really wasn't so much about the money. It was all about the pride. Because it was all about what I thought I had done. And in my mind, I had already started spending the money. You ever done that? You've got the money, and you've already spent it here. And I thought, okay, we've got to save for a house, so I, just stock. I'll just buy more stock over here. I'll buy some more of this, and we'll save more money. And why would God not want me to buy a house? I mean, that's a good thing. And I just said, no. I'm not going to do it. You can probably guess what happened. The stock never went higher. Instead, as my buddy would keep coming into my office and we'd check it, the stock went from $5 to $4 to $3 to $2 back to a dollar. It was kind of my chance to get out, kind of break even, right? No way, man. I'm all in. I've come this far. It's, it's, it's got a rebound. It's been there. It's going back. Instead, I finally sold the stock when it was at six cents a share. Lost it all. In fact, stupid company doesn't even exist anymore. They went bankrupt. I mean, perhaps looking back, perhaps God was providing a way out at the top and saying, Tim, made this money. I'm going to bless you. going to bless somebody else. It's going to be a great, you know, defining moment in your life of what happened. And God's providing a way out at the top. But no way, I'm running. I'm not listening. I'm running. I'm going. I'm, it's, 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 it's all me. I'm just running. And just held on for dear life and watched it just kind of crash and burn. See, I'm not sure what it is for you. But, you know, I think in our hearts, all of us, in one way or another, are runners, aren't we? I mean, maybe you don't want to surrender to God because you're just concerned about what you're going to miss out. I mean, where's it going to go? Or maybe you're running from God might look like 
knowing that, that God, maybe you have these thoughts, that God doesn't want you to be involved with her because she's just not the right person for you. But in those quiet moments, just you and God, you say, God, have you seen her? Right? I mean, God, how about this? How about I stay with her? God will call this missionary dating. I will stay with her. I know you say she's the wrong one. I'll stay with her. I will bring her to you. I will, she, she will come to know you. God, it's a win-win. God's like, never thought about that. Great, you know, good choice, right? So you run. Or maybe it's a job that you know, yeah, if I take this job, I'm going to have to compromise a little bit of my ethics. I'm going to have to compromise a little bit on my integrity here. But, oh, I mean, the upside's so big. We can make so much money. We can get out of debt so quickly. And, God, how about this? I will promise you to give 20%. God, hey, you, you just kind of ignore what I'm doing here, and I'll just kind of give it back to you. But in your heart, in your spirit, you feel like God's saying, no, don't want you to go there. But the, the apple pie or the pie at the end is just so big, and you say, God, I'm just going to kind of push you to the side, and I'm just going to run. Or maybe for you it's different. Life hasn't turned out exactly the way you planned. You never thought at this age that you'd only be here. You thought you'd just be further along by now. Or maybe someone close to you has suffered. And it was not fair. And whatever it is, you think, you know, there's no way that I'm going to surrender to God when God's never been so good to me. So you just keep running. So here's what we're going to do. Starting today, and for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about this issue of running. And to do so, as Mark mentioned earlier, we're going to take a look at the life of what I think is the most famous runner in Scripture, a guy named Jonah. Now, I know up first, kind of a disclaimer here, I know when I just say the name of Jonah, that most of you immediately think of like this big fish, whale, however you kind of think it, and you think of this really old man with seaweed kind of stuck in his hair. And maybe you think how am I really supposed to take this story seriously? I mean, there's no way that 21st century, open-minded, kind of intelligent people can think that a man actually lived in a fish for a few days. And I get that. It is a tough story to swallow. But, it's kind of weak. Yeah, thank you, Rimshot. But before we get started, here's what I want to do for you. If that's you, I want to give you an out. Because this story, it's really, as we're going to look at it, it's all about running. And as we're going, to, we're going to discover today, and really especially the next time we're together, our lives are so similar to the life of Jonah. And I don't want you to miss out on the truth that God has for us in this story. So before you check out and dismiss this as just some kind of fairy tale, hear me out. This story, first of all, is set at a time and place in recorded history. A big part of this story is a city called Nineveh. Nineveh was an actual place. It was a rather large, important city in the country of Assyria around 750 B.C. Now, if this was not Nineveh, but Narnia, then I'm with you, right? I mean, but this takes place in an actual historical place in time in history. And Jonah, the guy Jonah in the story, the main character, there's little doubt that he, that he existed, He's mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. And Jesus, about 750 years later, brings up Jonah and the life and times of Jonah and actually compares his life to the life of Jonah. Jo Jesus actually must have believed that Jonah existed, that he was real. So many of us who believe this story, and many of us here take this story literally, we're rather simple. 
We just think if it's good enough for Jesus, then I'm in. But listen, if this story is still too much for you, then here's your out. It's okay this morning if you think this story never really happened. It's okay. If you think maybe this is a myth, and by myth I mean it was never intended to be taken literally, but it was a story just meant to teach us something. If that's you, here's your out. I'd like you to think of uh, the story of Jonah today and as we go through this series, maybe in the same way that you think of your favorite book or your favorite movie. I mean, maybe you are just really into Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, you love Lord of the Rings books, the movies, and you don't actually think Frodo existed. I mean, I hope not. But the story still inspires you, right? I mean, the story of risk and temptation and perseverance. I mean, you're inspired by that kind of stuff. So here's what I'd like you to do as we go through this story. If you can't accept Jonah as historical fact, I'd like you to think of it as a myth with a message. Because I'd hate for you to miss what God has for us in this story. If you brought your Bibles, let's dive in. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to start in 1 and 2. If you've got your Bible Go about halfway through and then keep going just a little bit further. If you hit Matthew, you've gone too far. We're in the book of Jonah, chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, we'll put the, the verses up on the screen. Here's how it begins. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now first, as a way of introduction, you've got to know who Jonah is. Jonah was a prophet. He wasn't a priest. Priest, at this time, they served in the temple. They offered sacrifices. They led worship. Not a prophet. A prophet's a different sort of guy. A prophet is a reformer. He's an activist. He's a troublemaker in a very real sense. They made people uncomfortable. Israel usually had very many priests, but usually just about one prophet because that's really all they could stand. And, and the text says this. The text says, the word of the Lord comes to this prophet Jonah. Life's not easy when you're a prophet. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah saying, go to Nineveh. And here's the rub. Here's the tension at the very beginning of this story. Jonah was a prophet, but he was a prophet to Israel. He had nothing to do with all the other countries. They didn't worship the God of Israel. They didn't have God's word in the stories of Exodus and, and redemption and all those things. They didn't know who God was. But God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And if you see what he says, it says, and preach against it. Isn't that striking how that's expressed? Not Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the good news. Not Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach hope and restoration and peace, all those things. No, no. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against it. What's Nineveh? Here's what's key about this part. Nineveh at this time is the capital of Assyria. And in the 7th and 8th centuries B.C., Assyria is the great world power. It struck fear in the hearts of all those around. What they would do is they would put people in the countries that they defeated, they would put them on death marches. The thing that Assyria and Nineveh was known for is they had the ability, more than any other country, to skin someone alive and keep them alive longer than anyone else. 
unbelievable torture. Nineveh is hated. Not, not just cruelty here, but endless cruelty. If you want to understand how an Israelite felt about Nineveh, think of Al-Qaeda. Think of Nazi Germany. Think of a power that killed your children, enslaved your brother, and brutalized your sister. And the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the prophet of Israel, and says, I'm sending you there. Go to Nineveh. Tell them that they are about to face my judgment. Nineveh, I think this is an understatement, was outside of Jonah's comfort zone, right? I mean, Nineveh is the place God calls you to where you do not want to go. What do you do when God says to you, go to Nineveh? Because Nineveh is trouble. Nineveh is danger. Nineveh is fear. What do you do when God says to you, go to Nineveh? Because at some point, God will say that to you. Look at Jonah's response. Down in verse 3. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. And he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, to get the full impact of this, we've got a map for you. You have to understand where these cities were back in the Near East. First of all, take a look at the map. Do you see where Nineveh is in relation to Joppa, in relation to Israel? Israel's that little strip of land. Joppa's there. Joppa's kind of right there. And Nineveh is just about 500 miles or so to the northeast. And God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, Nineveh, yeah, um, I don't think I'm going to do that. So he gets up, and he does leave. Just, he doesn't go to Nineveh. Where does he go? He goes to Tarshish. Do you have any guess where Tarshish is? Pull up the next map. Dude doesn't mess around, does he? I mean, he goes a little, get this, over 2,500 miles away from where he's supposed to be. Tarshish, at this point in, in history, is the furthest place Jonah could have run. Hops a ship, goes to Tarshish. 2,500 miles. Here's a little bit of, of perspective. If this is today, you wouldn't take a ship, right? You would hop a plane. If you're running from God and God calls you somewhere, you're going to hop a plane. I did some searching this week. You want to know where 2,500 miles away from Cincinnati is? If God calls you to Cincinnati and you're like, no, not going there, I'm going to run. Juneau, Alaska is 2,500 miles away from Cincinnati by plane. God calls you to Cincinnati where you can see the Ohio River. No, you're taking off. You're going to where they say you can see Russia from your house. Man, dude is just taking off, running. I mean, Jonah, this prophet, don't miss out on who he was, a prophet, a man of God, doesn't just say no to God, but he runs away as far as possible. And I think before we stand in shock and maybe get a little judgmental, isn't that at one time or another our story too? Because God said, I'd like you to go this way. And you said, you know, actually, I'm going to go in the exact opposite direction of where you're sending me. 
Or God says, you know, I really don't want you to be involved in that. That's, that's really not a good choice for you. He said, actually, God, that's the thing I'm going to be involved in. Or maybe God says, you know, I don't want you spending time with him. I don't want you spending time with her, but she's, she's actually the one I'm going to spend all my time with. And I think all of us in this room, we've got a story where for at least part of our lives, maybe even now, we just said, you know, I'm going to do whatever it is that I want to do. It doesn't matter what you say, God. I'm just doing it. I mean, after all, if a prophet of God could do this. You see, I think one of the things about running from God is one of the things about sin is that it requires the illusion that you won't get caught. Doesn't it? I mean, see, if I want to disobey God, the first thing I have to do, first thing I've got to do is make sure in my mind that I don't sense or believe that God is right there with me. The first thing I have to do is find a way mentally, and I think we can all do this, is just kind of ignore God's presence, ignore God's plan, ignore his holiness, ignore the fact that he's right here because if I want to run, if I want to go here, it's kind of hard to think of God being right there with me. All of us in this room, haven't we at some point run from God? It may happen like this. God, I know you want me to confront that person. You've been working on my heart. You've been kind of leading me here. But God, that's going to be painful. That's going to be difficult. It might end a relationship, so I'm not going to do that. Or maybe you know God is calling you to serve in a certain area, but you don't want to. It might be humbling. It might be difficult. It might be costly. It might be scary. So you just kind of run the other way. Or maybe, this is a tough one, maybe you know God is calling you to let go of the grip that money has on your life. You know God's calling you to be generous, but the fact is, God, I don't want to do that. Or maybe, maybe I'm afraid. It's hard to trust you, so I'm just going to run. Maybe you know that God wants you to release that judgmental attitude that you have in your heart. God says, I don't want you to be bitter any longer. I want you to offer forgiveness. But you think that's too hard. It's too difficult. It's risky. I might get hurt. So I'm just going to run. That's what Jonah does in this story. He thought, as I think, as every one of us think at one point or another, I can run from God. Nobody will ever know. Maybe you're there right now. It's an amazing story. So Jonah's on the ship. Back to Jonah. He's in full run mode. He's going the opposite direction of where God called him. And then the next three words in this story are kind of the hinge that everything kind of turns on. Look at the next three words. The next three words simply say, then the Lord. You can almost hear the ominous music. Is that just me? You can can almost hear the music, right? Then the Lord. And even if you haven't seen the movie, you know this tune. Then the Lord, something's coming. Then the Lord. You see, here's the truth about running. If you run from the Lord, you are eventually going to have some then the Lord moments in your life. Moments when God unquestionably gets your attention. 
Maybe you're remembering yours right now. Here was Jonas. Verses 4 to 6. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and sent such a violent storm that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, watch this, it's amazing. Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so we will not perish. Make sure you get the picture. These are professional sailors. These guys have been in storms before. They don't panic easily, but man, they're panicked now. They're so scared that they take their cargo, i.e. their paycheck, how they're going to get paid, and they throw it overboard. Their life is on the line. They thought they might die, so they're trying anything just to kind of right the ship. They even take it a step further. Not guys who normally pray, but man, they're praying. Not many atheists on a sinking ship, right? And this is so crazy because what is Jonah, the prophet of God, the professional follower of God doing at this moment? The man of God, what's he up to? He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Guy's taking a nap. And the captain's stunned by this. He says to Jonah, he says, how can you sleep? I love the old King James Version here. The old King James Version says, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Isn't that just great? The captain goes to Jonah, what are you thinking? Get up, pray to your God. Maybe he will save us. You see, I think another truth about runners is this, is that usually when you're running, you're the last one to notice the chaos that's all around you. And the sad fact is that your running doesn't impact only you. Your children, your family, your friends, those closest to you, the ones that you care the most about, they know you're running. They see your life spinning out of control. The warning signs are just all around. Everybody can see it. But the fact is, you don't live in a bubble. Your actions affect and impact others. And you're not the only one who's going to suffer because of your running. And often, it's the people that you care the most about who are the closest to you who go down with your ship. Story goes on. Sailors cast lots. They want to find out something they, they did at this time to find out somebody has to be to blame. This is a storm unlike any others. Certainly, somebody's done something. They cast lots. Falls on Jonah. They want to know who he is. What's his story? So Jonah tells him, very simply, down to verse 9. Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. Of heaven. I love how he says this. Who made the sea that's about to kill us, and the dry land where I should have stayed. I love that. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told him so. So they asked Jonah, Jonah, what do we do? We're about to capsize. The ship's about to sink. What do we do? And he says, guys, the only thing you can do is throw me off this boat. And they say, we're not throwing you off the boat. Your God is causing it. We're not going to anger your God. Guys, you got to do it. You got to throw me off the boat. 
they wouldn't do it. So they tried harder. They're trying to ready the ship. They're trying to right the ship. They're doing everything they can. Everything just gets worse and worse and worse. And Jonah's sitting there, guys, you got to throw me off. So finally, these guys, it's amazing, they form a little prayer huddle on, on the ship that's rocking back and forth. They hold hands a little bit, and they pray to Jonah's God, asking for forgiveness. God, forgive us for what we're about to do. And they take Jonah, and it's a one and a two and a three. Is it on three or after three? It doesn't matter. Three and there. Jonah goes flying off the ship. Here's how the Bible tells it. Down in verse 15. It says, Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Kind of get the picture here. They throw Jonah off the boat, and he doesn't sink. They throw Jonah off the boat. Sea's still raging a little bit. He's kind of bobbing up and down in the water, kind of trying to swim. He's real close by. Jonah's right there. Suddenly the sea gets calm. Jonah's still right there, kind of awkward, right? Hi, you know, looking at Jonah. He's trying to swim. He's kind of bobbing up and down. And one of the sailors goes over to the captain and says, what do we do? Do we throw him a line? Do we try to save him? I don't know, they kind of debate back and forth, you know, what do we do? I mean, they didn't want to throw Jonah off in the first place, right? I mean, what do you do? Scripture says they, they stopped and they offered thanks to God for calming the storm. Meanwhile, Jonah's still bobbing along in the water, kind of waving, right? What do you do? They didn't have to make a choice. Look at the next phrase. And it's something that we're kind of familiar with. We've seen it before. It says in Jonah 1.17, now the Lord. First, it was then the Lord, but now it's now the Lord. You see, it's one of the truths in, in this story, is that even when you run, God doesn't abandon you. It may not be pretty. It may not be comfortable. But in your running, you will experience some then the Lord and now the Lord moments. Jonah 1.17 finishes up saying this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And I think the next verse is wonderful. Jonah 2.1 says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I'm thinking, I bet he did. Right? You know what Jonah discovered, I think, inside the fish, as he started to think about all the events that had led him to this point. I think Jonah realized or, or discovered that you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. There's nowhere you can go that God is not there. And I think at this point in the story, in fact, I'm pretty sure Jonah was glad that even though he was running, even though he was trying to get away from God, that God had never left him. And that even though he was running from God and wasn't looking for God, that God was right there, coming after him, staying with him. One last story heard recently, and I hope this is true. It's just so good. A dad and his son 
were, were out shopping. They were running some errands, and they had to stop at one last store. Boy's about five or six years old. And they walk in the store, and if you're a parent, you've got kids, you've been there, been there before. They went in the store, and he wanted to avoid this section. You never want to go past this section with kids, but went past the video game section. And sure enough, there's a demo set up where you can play the latest video game, you know, whatever it was. A little five, six-year-old boy said, Daddy, I want to play, I want to play. He said, no, son, we can't, we're in a hurry, we got to go. Kid's upset. They keep walking, they, they go down a few sections, and they get to where, you know, the dad's got to find the one thing he's got to get in the store. And he's kind of studying what's on the shelves and looking at this and that one. I've got a choice here, different prices. Is this one better, whatever? And as he's really engrossed in his two choices, his boy looks up and realizes, now's my time. And he slowly kind of walks away. And then he runs to the video game section. He's off. Dad's still kind of in his own little moment, kind of whatever, and he decides which one he's going to get. He gets it, picks it up, and reaches down to grab his son's hand, and he's not there. If you're a parent had a moment like this, panic sets in. Where's my kid? So he's frantically looking up this aisle. He goes to the aisle next to him, looks there, nothing, totally frantic, you know, panic the whole bit. A store worker notices something's not right with this man, walks over and says, sir, can I help you? It's like, oh, yeah, he said, my son, I've lost him. He was right here. He tells him the whole story. He said, sir, happens all the time in our store. No problem. They're always fine. And they almost always end up in the toy section. He said, okay. He gets his walkie-talkie. He calls the guy working the toy section. He says, what's your son look like? Describes his son. I said, we're looking for a lost boy. Tells him what he looks like. And he says, you know, do you see him? And the toy guy looks around and says, no, I don't see him here. He says, oh, I see him. He's over there across the aisle playing a video game. Dad's relieved. He said, my son's name is Matthew. Can you have him go over and tell Matthew that daddy's looking for him and he's coming to get him? He said, sure. The guy with him said, I'll walk over to the video game section with you. And he's still got the walkie-talkie on. And he hears the toy guy walk over to his son. And the toy guy says, Matthew, your daddy's looking for you. And in the sweetest little voice, he hears back, but I'm not looking for him. Isn't that great? You know, maybe the truth is for you, for all of us, is that it's never too late. It's never too late to quit running. And you know what? It's never too soon to quit running either. It's never too soon. Maybe you've been doing it in really obvious ways, and people all around you who know you and love you, they can see it. Maybe you've been running in some secret hidden ways. Maybe you weren't even really aware of it until right now, and the Spirit's just kind of speaking to you and nudging you and talking to you about that running. Maybe a storm's hit, or maybe a storm is just over the horizon. Don't wait for it to come. Don't wait for it to get any worse, because Jesus came to tell a world full of runners that your daddy is looking for you, and he's coming for you, and he paid the price so you can quit running. Now, next time, we're going to continue in this story because it's really just getting started. Next time, we're going to take a look at what Jonah does inside the fish. Spoiler alert, he surrenders. It's a beautiful, chapter 2 is a beautiful prayer of surrender. Really not so much of a guy who gave up, but of a guy who gave in. Who gave in to God, who quit running, and just completely surrendered to his plan and purpose for his life. And he found, and he found peace, and he found purpose. And that's the same offer 
that God offers all of us runners today through his son, Jesus. Hope you come back next time. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. God, you're so patient with us. You put up with our running. You put up with our kind of putting you on the, on the back shelf for a little bit just so we can kind of do our thing, do what we want to do. God, thank you for being patient. God, unfortunately, sometimes the only way you can get our attention is to send a storm. Give us wisdom, give us courage, give us faith to, to move towards you before we suffer anymore and before we bring those we care about most down with us because we don't run alone and we don't suffer alone. God, you give us great hope. How beautiful to see through the eyes and the life of a man who lived so long ago that just as you were with him then, you're with us today. Father, we love you. Thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. It's in his name we pray to you. Amen.